0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hello everybody and welcome to the 398th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's set on drafting a posse to boost your enjoyment of the ultimate magic cardboard play experience. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments this week. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, what is on the agenda this week?
1: We've got five awesome segments lined up this week, James. First of all, we're going to talk about the week in review with the uh, challenges that happened this weekend in Modern and Pioneer. Then we've got our top movers online and our top movers in paper. Segment four has our picks of the week, our cards to watch. And in segment five, we're going to talk about today's announcement of play boosters and just what in heck those are and what they mean.
0: All righty. We'll kick things off here with a metagame week in review. Taking a look at the modern challenge on Magic Online, Saturday, October 14th. This one was taken down by Black Green Moth, featuring three copies of Agatha's Soul Cauldron. Black Red Scam in second and fourth. Amulet Titan in third and seventh, with the third place Titan list running for the one ring, and the seventh place Titan list running for Green Sun's Twilight instead of the One Ring.
1: Well, you know, you want to go find all your good green stuff, whether it's Dryad or Cultivator Colossus, that's a fun combo you can do. Two Alash Norn, can you imagine Elish Norn in a primeval Titan? You just gotta sit (laughs) back and wait for ten minutes while this player finishes with all their triggers and everything. Yeah,
0: that's ridiculous. Uh, we also had a blue-red murktide in sixth, and a hardened scales list also with three copies of Agatha's Soul Cauldron in eighth. Those are the two most successful archetypes that are running the cauldron. And then easily the spiciest list in here is a blue-black mid-range list that features 4 the One Ring, a Snapcaster Mage, 2 Murktide Regent, 2 Subtlety, 2 Shieldred the Apocalypse, 4 Orcish Bowmasters, 4 Fatal Push, 4 Force of Negation, 3 Archmage's Charm, 2 Shieldred's Edict, 4 Counterspell, a Damnation, 4 Preordain, and 3 Lurian Revealed. Blue black mid range slash control has been something we've seen a couple other times this year, but this is an updated version of the list that looks, you know, like has a lot of the DNA that you would expect from this color combination.
1: You know, they're trying out a lot of fun things, and clearly, they hit a lot of the right stuff in the right order. I love when they have just random numbers of things. I I'm not a highly technical deck builder. So when I build something, I'm like, I want four of this and I want maybe one of that. I'm not really good at shaving the numbers to know exactly where they're at. And this looks like something that you just tested and tested and tested and iterated on and you got to a set of numbers you really liked and it worked out great.
0: And and I'm sure that there will be additional iteration given the the sheer number of staples that are being introduced into Magic on an annual basis in these formats at this point. Especially since we have Modern Horizons 3 next summer, which will almost undoubtedly shake up the format over in pioneer on the challenge from the same day saturday october 14th we have red white tokens uh taking this down with four copies of knight errant of eos i don't see the red white aftermath card in here that kind of kicked off this archetype looks like they might have put it aside
1: no this one's got uh red just for the bushwhacker fun after you play everything you just go uh bushwhack kill your guy
0: they also have Imidane's Recruiter as the other. Well, of course. Yeah. And then, in the, and then the sideboard they also have four rendi- three Rending Volley, four Forge Devil, Gigantha is their uh, companion. So, little different take on the red white action over in Pioneer. Kinnon combo back on the menu here in second place for Tyvar, three Kinnon, four Rona. That's a, a deck with strong. Uh, Potential to go infinite and to value you out. Lotus Field Combo still putting up results in the top eight, third place this week. Four color enigmatic fires, four fires of adventure, and four enigmatic incarnation in fourth. A black red mid range list in fifth. Another red white tokens list in sixth. This one running four regal bunnicorn. Uh, I realized I was supposed to be running this in a couple of different decks in EDH. uh, as I started thinking about it, because every time I see this thing come into play in draft, it's like a six, six or a seven, seven. And I'm like in Ginny Fay or the food deck, you, t- <laughs> you tend to have like 10 to 14 permanents on the, on the table. And that's, even though it's just a 10, 10 or a 12, 12, that's still pretty good rattlesnake for people attacking in and tends to force some bad blocks on the way out.
1: Yep. It is uh, just got the keyword damn huge for two mana, And It will almost assuredly be the biggest thing on the board, given whatever kind of shenanigan deck you're running. And all you need is some fun way to give it trample, because they will chump block this thing all day. But like you said, it's probably most effective as just a giant wall of stay away, I don't want to have to break your face.
0: Mono black in 7th and a mono white humans list finishing up our take here at 8th for Coppercoat Vanguard from Aftermath in that one. Moving on over to Top Paper Movers, we kick things off with Wheel of Fate from Time Spiral Remastered, the reprint foils from that underprinted set a couple years back. Foils going 12 to 16, 33% gains, that's got to be the 10th doctor driving that, seeing as how he cares about all the suspend cards. We have Gishath Sun's Avatar, the Secret layer version, non-foils going 34 to 45, that's going to be on the back of Dino hype, giving it a 30% boost. This one's a little odd to me. Lotho, Corrupt, share of Foil, Extended Arts have dried up. Foil's going 100 to 140. There's like four copies listed near mint left on TCG Player, I think, last I checked. And if there was no Lord of the Rings reprint coming in November, this would be relatively straightforward. It's a fantastic EDH card. It's a good commander. It's good in the 99. The foil extended arts, as we have discussed repeatedly, were only available in the uh, collector booster sample packs that came with the Lord of the Rings commander decks. The drop rate on those was really, really low, so we calculated that there was single low single-digit thousands of those in the world, and all of that would add up to this making sense to hollow out. Problem is, we are definitely getting more Lothos in a new treatment come November, right?
1: That is correct. We're also getting more uh extended art surge foils as well and those will not nearly be as rare as the regular foils so uh this will be quite the study in how many different versions can you introduce to a very rare version that doesn't look terribly premium and we're going to end up with some very sad folks uh i i highly doubt this price is going to stick especially once the new ones come out because the new showcase frame it's pretty good looking. It's got, you know, the the scroll looking thing. And I, I like this particular showcase frame. And it should, especially with the presence of a Surge Foil extended art, this probably won't keep that price.
0: It's not a Realms and Relics. So it's not getting a Surge Foil reprint in that sense. But it is getting foil showcase treatment with the, the sc- banner scrolls on the sides, right? And then it's getting Surge Foils versions of that?
1: I believe that is correct. Let me double check real quick while you go on to the next card. I think that sounds correct.
0: If this was a Lord of the Rings Commander card, that would be different, but those wouldn't have foil extended arts anyway in the coming scenario. So yeah, this this looks like a clear sell call to me. I mean, it made sense to pick these up early when they were rare and people got some good deals on them early summer. It looks like they get to turn that around within four or five months and potentially get an exit if they can get out ahead of this next release.
1: I think that, that's, that's the main thing is they're, they're hoping to flip it quick. But yes, they're going to be Surge Foil Extended Arts of everything that got an Extended Art Treatment foil before. So everything that was super rare is about to get a new premium treatment.
0: It could be the case that what people are doing here is trying to corner the market on the rarest versions of the best cards from the set. Like mm, you're I, gonna get a whole I don't bunch think it's going to pay off. <laughs> you're going to get a whole bunch of One Rings as well, but it, it remains to be seen what that will do to the price of the foil extended art One Rings. I think it'll, in large part it depends on is there a better, cooler version of a card that is significantly less rare, thereby significantly narrowing the market for the very rare version that just doesn't look as
1: good. I don't think we're going to see very much of this going on because you know, it might be the actual rarest to have regular foil extended art instead of surge foil extended art, but I, I don't think it's going to get there. You're going to get a surge foil extended art rare approximately every 32 packs, every 32 special edition com- uh, collector booster packs. So there will be a lot of these Lothos out there, and it will have the surge foiling instead of regular foiling. And if you ask the average player, and especially with how TCG player sorts these things out... I don't think that these extended art foils are going to hold, and the last couple that I have from when the set first came out, I'm planning on fire sailing in the next week.
0: Okay. The next one's kind of interesting. Mox Tantalite, the much-maligned Mox uh, from MH1, going 5 to $9 over the last few months, 80% gains sliding up since early summer, presumably because people think it's going to get played in the Tenth Doctor. But there's a whole bunch of other commanders that also care about casting spells from exile, like a Prosper and so forth. And there's at least 10 that I could make a list off the top of my head that I've seen in play in the Pro Trader pods over the last six months or so, where this would not be a ridiculous card to cast. And it's in 13,000 reported decks on EDH rec, which is not a super impressive number. That's very medium. But it's also never had a premium version. It's never had a reprint.
1: Uh, that's not entirely true. It was in the Mox in a Box set that just came out.
0: Well, which, has, which hasn't shipped yet. That is relevant, but A, that's not out yet. B, that we we all suspect that that has undersold, right? Because that, that thing is still up for sale, and that right. event is long since passed now. It's a couple weeks back down the road. So... I think there's a very good argument to be made that that particular Dan Fraser is going to be worth significantly more than the others because of the very strange, narrow release pattern that they provided it with. Now, all that being the case, the original art is nicer than the Dan Fraser. Like if you're trying to matchy match all your Dan Fraser pieces, then sure, I get that. But the original art was actually so nice that they made a big deal of showing a like half-hour thing where the artist was doing a time-lapse of painting the picture as they were revealing it during the MH1 reveals. And then everybody was disappointed because it had Suspend 3. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's funny because it, <laughs> if
0: that had been tweaked to even just Suspend 2, this might have been a much bigger deal card. People forget that this Mox doesn't make colorless. This makes one man of any color.
1: I have to admit, I I get this one mixed up with the soul ring that makes the yeah. the suspend soul ring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I see where you're coming from, but the fact that if this is bumping up to uh, nine dollars and the the pre order price on the secret layer version and the Mox in a box is at somewhere around sixteen right now for the cheapest or seventeen actually. I'm interested to see where these two end up because this is Modern Horizons one. This is from quite a while ago. And and
0: because of the poor reception on this card, I don't see them making it a priority to reprint in a mainline set. Like throwing it into this Fraser thing makes perfect sense, but that could be the last we see of it for years.
1: That's very likely. I agree with you on that.
0: So I'm I'm just curious to see where this where this rolls, because I think I think this is probably an underplayed card in certain archetypes and in Commander. And you know, with a tenth doctor, it makes a lot of sense there. So we'll see how this continues to develop. It, it could well be that Mox tantalite ends up being a twenty dollars card before it ever sees a significant reprint. Keeper of Secrets at a forty k, going five to ten dollars. This is going to be on the back of Baluna, the adventure based commander that gives you benefits for casting things out of exile on the backside of your adventure cards, because this thing deals damage to an opponent or opponents. I can't remember off the top target opponent target opponent based on the value of the thing that you cast out of exile so that fits into again a whole bunch of the same decks as Mox Tantalite including the 10th Doctor and again because it's a 40k card under some pressure Lord Skitter Sewer King we saw this show up in a I think it was a modern deck not that long ago uh, where it was doing well and I think it's also shown up in some pioneer builds this thing is a bit more of a value engine than you might first give it credit for given that it makes a rat Every turn.
1: I mean, I've got it in my Ayara deck. It's also handy to have this, I'm going to remove exactly one card from somebody's graveyard every single turn. Yeah. There's a, a lot of things you can do to synergize with it. And uh, it's only going from $1 to $2, but that's enough to, you know all it, does, it takes is a few people deciding they're going to snap up these cheap copies, put them into a standard deck, and roll with it.
0: But I would be curious to see if it it gains any longevity in Pioneer and Modern, because that's what would move this from, say, a $1 to a $4 or $5 card with a $2.25 buy list out on the $1 copies. Murderous Cut Foils at a KTK. No reprint on that common. And those foils have gone from seven to eighteen. It's in only eleven, uh, about twelve thousand decks on EDH rec, but it also sees modern smatterings of modern play in like seven or eight different lists, including the blue-black mid-range list that we looked at earlier. Sometimes you see it in blue-black mill in modern. Uh, Jund and Scam have found reason to run it along the way, and basically any deck that can fill up their yard may decide that this is this is a removal spell that they is worth looking at. And again, no no reprint of this of note, and the foils have jumped up accordingly, given enough time.
1: Yeah, there's a list version of this, but that doesn't include a foil, and I could have sworn this had gotten some kind of special treatment, but no, every time they do a special treatment for a removal spell, it's another dismember. So we get a lot of dismembers because dismember is a much more balanced card because you're paying the four life. This one is just fill your graveyard and abuse the whole delve mechanic.
0: Lastly, on this list, we have Rousing Refrain out of Commander twenty uh, Commander twenty twenty one, going two to six dollars in non foil, two hundred percent gains. This will be the tenth Doctor dri- driving that as well, because this one pops out of suspend and then goes back into suspend at the end of your turn.
1: Yeah, I called one of these types of cards a while ago, uh, Chronomantic Escape, I believe I did, and I don't. I need to check in and see how it did, but. This, that keeps exile, this sort of effect that keeps exiling itself is exactly what the Tenth Doctor wants to do. Get some timey-wimey stuff going on. And this, I believe, goes infinite if you can add more than seven mana, correct?
0: Because you would put it back on suspend and then take it off again? Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: That's the point of this joke, right?
0: Yeah, timey-wimey. Because uh, that's time travel three times, and time traveling lets you...
1: Check remove every, counters. Yeah, re- yeah,
0: remove counters equal to, uh, well, three. So uh, if something is on Suspend 3, it's going to come off and get
1: cast. Yep, so you just keep going, and uh, then you got infinite mana, and do whatever it is you're going to do. And then I'm sure you've got other fun things that you can do in the meantime, so uh, get down with your bad self if you want to play the infinite combo deck.
0: Over on Magic Online, top movers of the week include Fury out of Modern Horizons 2, going 40 tickets to 55 ticks. I want to take a quick look here. What is the lowest that card ever was?
1: I'm going to say online, probably 12 tickets.
0: Fury. Fury's price history going back three years. At release, it was as low as six tickets. Oh, Billy. (laughs) So, next summer... When Modern Horizon 3 comes out, and we're talking about the top staples of the set, including what will inevitably be some set of ridiculous looking cards like the Elementals, uh, let's remember that you're supposed to just go ahead and buy some of the, a big pile of those Mythics in the first month and sit on them for two years, because that's a 10 times return in two years, which I will take all day every day.
1: Now, uh, you're presuming these Elementals get reprinted, right?
0: I'm very much expecting that next summer they're going to get reprinted, but I'm not talking about buying this next summer. I'm saying buy the new hotness hotness. from MH3, whatever is a mythic and get ready to hold it. Because unlike with paper MH3, I mean MH2, where they kept it in print for two years, which has in in many ways uh, held back the pricing on all sorts of stuff, like the fetches and shardless agent and a bunch of other things that are seeing plenty of play. But because they were printed as rares and kept basically in constant print for two years, there's just tons of them around. On Magic Online, it doesn't work like that. It gets heavily, heavily drafted for a couple of months, and then they bring back some drafts down the road that add fresh supply that will crash prices for some period of time. But then each of those pieces of the roller coaster is a shorter period of time. And you, all you got to do is look at the chart for things like Solitude, Grief, Fury, etc. If you bought a basket of that stuff early on, you'd be doing extremely well right now.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not as convinced as you are that the Elementals get reprinted in Modern Horizons 3, but I think there's a very strong chance of it.
0: I, I think it's really tough to to not do that because you either have to reprint them or ban them. Because if they're confirmed not in, their prices are going to skyrocket. That's true. Because they're EDH and modern super staples, and some of them are are super staples in Legacy as well. So you know what what happens to Grief and Fury if Black Red Scam is still top aiding all the time next July, and we see the full list and there's no Grief and Fury in it.
1: I agree that they need a reprint or a ban. I'm just like I, I agree that the uh, Modern Horizons three is the most likely place to do it. I just, uh, I'm trying to remember all the mythics that were in Modern Horizons 2, like what percentage of reprints, what percentage of new cards, but uh, (laughs) these elementals have really shaped the metagame, especially alongside Up the Beanstalk, and uh, this, you know, I I mean, they're just going to keep going up until the reprint is confirmed, right?
0: I've actually started to wonder whether Up the Beanstalk is the card that's going to get the axe in Modern.
1: The week after I picked it. How dare you, sir? Every time I watch it, it's more and more busted. It really is. Man, did you see the uh, the cascade lists? Yeah, yeah. That were, that were trying to end in uh, Fire Ice? Aspiring Spike was running a
0: shardless agent into a guaranteed up the beanstalk so that he always had one to two copies in play in almost every game. And it was doing very well.
1: Doing very well. You're you're so Sometimes you're so subtle about these things, James. It's impressive.
0: I mean, they had solitude, subtleties, commandeers, uh, leyline binding. It's just not that hard to find expensive cards that are actually cheap that abuse the Beanstalk. So I will not be surprised if Beanstalk gets an axe in Modern at some point. I think that's entirely possible. Because otherwise, they keep printing things into it that'll just be more and more busted.
1: It's hard to argue with that. I see what you're saying, yeah. The the
0: card advantage is just extreme, is is the problem. It makes every card a cantrip. And the thing is that the elementals are, if they're hard cast, naturally cantrips to begin with, because you're getting a body and an effect. And if you have to uh, evoke them, then this is countering the card disadvantage. So, yeah. Definitely something to keep your eye on. Now, listen to this. I went back and looked at Solitude Magic Online, July 8th 2021 it was at 16 ticks by October 28th of that year October 25th it hit 87 ticks. Oh my
1: god. <laughs> and I'm guessing I'm guessing Grief return.
0: Because Grief fell out of the meta pretty early. I'm assuming it had the best entry. Yeah, Grief was available at 6 6.4 ticks by June 28th when it became apparent it wasn't actually taking over modern. And it got up to 40 in mid-August this year. So yes, identify the, key, short break, yeah. identify the key mythics in MH3. <laughs> if, you, if you take just one piece of advice all year, that one will probably work out for you next summer. As long as you're willing to hold Magic Online things for two more years and assume they're not going to shut it down. That's true. Hengeway, Hengegate. Pathway out of Cal Time, 2.86 ticks to 4.52. That's Pioneer decks that are running that uh, for 58% gains. And then the Commandeer that we were just talking about in the Aspiring Spike Bant Beanstalk lists, uh, the Cold Snap version went one tick to three ticks. That's 200% gains. Cold
1: Snap was a long time ago. Has it really never been reprinted? It has been. Uh, Commander Masters. There you go. But that wasn't...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Didn't go online. So that probably has a treasure chest version for that. Moving on over to cards to watch. I got two oil slicks I got my eye on. First is Techethal Mayhem Dominus uh, oil slick. I'm I'm looking at a very long horizon here. Two years. The inventory is not particularly low on this yet. It's gone. It went down, down, down for about the first four months or so. And then it's just been even around $10. It's going to take a while for these to drain out. But here's the thing. No matter... Even though we've had two of the busiest years in commander history in terms of the total number of commanders printed that can be played, Atraxa is still the queen. And <laughs> Tekathal is in 70% inclusion rate for Atraxa decks since it was printed. That is extremely right. high. So You're usually happy if you get to 15% inclusion rate. 70 is unheard of. So it's already in 23,000 decks on EDH. Rec. it's only in the top 15, not even the top five, for instance, from one cards in terms of overall EDH play. But because it's a must play in one of the top commanders that has sat in the top seat for basically her entire career, looks and, and because Tekithal Inquiry Dominus, given that Phyrexians are all dead and probably won't be revived for another five years or so, I don't think they're going to reprint Techethel. That looks like to me like one of those ba- banner mythics that are extremely narrow. And I would only even consider its possibility of reprint in Secret Lair, the new version of the list or that, that we're going to talk about later tonight, or another Commander Master style set. Sure. Because it's not going to be the kind of thing they're going to put into Modern Horizon 3. It just doesn't make sense there. And it's not going to be in the Final Fantasy set either. So I think it it's, could be good game to think that Tekathel is not going to see a reprint for three to five years. And the oil slick will never see a reprint. And this will be the best version for ages. No matter what version they give you down the road, this will still, probably still be the cooler one.
1: The thing that always stands out, and, I'm, and I realize you've picked two oil slicks and this applies to both of them, is that the oil slick foils is one of the very few times where they decided to do something special and give it special art. They've done that a remarkably low number of times where the only version where an art gets used exactly once. It's not on like the regular and the extended art or this. They didn't do the oil slick version with like the same art as the uh, step and complete version, which is the same as the borderless version. So these oil slicks are very unique looking. They got that whole raised profile thing that's very delightful to see going on. And I just think that this is a great pick, and I'm I'm down for just about any oil slick foil you want to recommend to me. To be honest,
0: your first pick here is kind of gutsy. Tell me about it.
1: I, what's what's so gutsy about this? I'm calling on a super staple that's reaching basically its low point. I'm talking about the Great Hinge, buddy. I think the time is right. Non foils from Tornavell Drain and Commander Masters have dipped under $40. You can get them as low as 36 in some cases, even less if you want to go to some lightly played. I don't think I need to sell you on the exact EDHREC number. If I was to guess, I think it's somewhere around 110 But let me look real quick since I've got that window open. The Great Hint is at 141,000 Commander decks. Uh, 10% of all green decks are running it. That number is probably too low. But any deck with creatures and with green mana symbols should be running it. That's that's just a given. What we know is that there's going to be more surge foils coming of this card. We know that there's uh, new, more special versions coming in the Lord of the Rings holiday set. But we just got the commander masters into Lord of the Rings printing, and that's put the prices so low that I think that we're ready to move in. They're they're ten- not. Going to go much lower than this, and if you have decks where you've been waiting to get your copies, now is definitely when you want to get in. The Lord of the Rings uh, Holiday Edition is only foils, so I'm calling the non-foils from either Throne of Eldraine or Commander Masters. There's a lot out there, but there's a lot of movement too. If you want to talk about non-foil uh, Party Tree Editions, because there will not be more non-foils coming, I would listen to that too. That's a little bit more, that's a little over 40 and I'm trying to get people in as low as they possibly can for one of the best commander cards of all time. Gutsy pick. I don't know what you're talking about. This is this is easy money. Still thinking this is a gutsy pick. Uh
0: it's got <laughs> it's got two reprints inside a month. Right. You have the Commander Legends reprint right after the Realms and Relics, and then they're going back to the Realms and Relics well two months from now. And
1: right. For special versions. Yes, you're
0: only getting Surge Foils and Serialized Surge Foils, but the Surge Foils are at a very high drop rate relative to their original. There's still only going to be, I can't remember what we calculated, it's like high single-digit thousands or something when
1: there used to be low single-digit Yeah, another, another few thousand, yes. S- several thousand. But that's a Surge fo- Yeah, there's another few bunch of Surge Foils coming. Yeah, so
0: Surge Foil would be a really obvious bad pick. The... Going after the regular card, maybe that is the smart money because it's the, maybe the nicest looking lowest price version. Although if I'm choosing between original, the party tree, or the Great hinge foil etched from Commander Masters, I think I like the foil etched from Commander Masters better.
1: The, totally valid. The, party, uh, the that... party
0: tree art is not all that sexy there's also 163 listings of the non-foil party tree
1: on tcg player whereas there's only 44 of the foil etched sure the velocity is really great on all copies to be clear people have not really stopped buying this card super, super staple card fantastic in every green deck in edh the, it's going
0: to keep selling well I, I think what your more skeptical pro trader would say is they're going to print it again like, you'll, you'll see it again in six months or 12 months or 18. Personally, I think once they double double or triple tap something in a six-month period, they are pretty likely to leave it alone for a while. So I'm not actually worried that you're going to get additional Great Hinges in the next year. Two years gets tougher because who knows? Two
1: years, definitely not.
0: Um, but I think for a year, you're probably okay here. I, I I'm not confident that non-foil party tree gets there. There's a Commander Masters regular version that's currently at 36. Is that going to end up 50 or 60? What kind of velocity. Yes. Does, what kind of velocity does that have? That that sells on an average day like today is October 16th. Today it sold about 10 copies and 3 or 4 foils. So that is very respectable for a $40 mythic. Maybe you're right. Maybe this is the smart money. I
1: currently I'm shy on these triple printings, but it's, sure. it's worth keeping an eye on. But you you see where I'm coming from, it, and that you're right. The multiple printings in a row make this an, an unlikely candidate to be printed again in at least 2024, 2025. Uh, I think we will absolutely see this again. But I know a lot of people want to have this card. They wanted to have this card. And now it's been printed, you know, a bunch of times in a row. And now we're at its cheapest. And while its cheapest is not as cheap as some people might have hoped, it's still the least expensive price it's going to be at for a while because all we're getting after this is more premium versions. So people won't be, uh, folks might be chasing some Surge Foils. Uh, You should go for that. And I'm probably going to change one of my regular ones into a Surge Foil at some point. But this is, I think, a great place to buy in if you were looking for copies and you will watch them go from the lows they're at now to some delightful highs.
0: I think what I'll add to this is I made some good money on Japanese Great Hinge in its original printing. And just checking into my favorite stores in Japan as we're talking, it looks like there, there are some very good opportunities over in Japan. You can get Japanese uh, Commander Masters versions of the Great Hinge for $16 US.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And foil party tree in Japanese is about $19 US. So, That's hard to argue with. And then the foil etched that I was looking at is about 20 So I think some mixture of what you're suggesting and some of those opportunities probably worth dabbling in. It is a very important card in the color.
1: Yep. I agree.
0: All right, my next one, next oil slick under discussion is Tyrannix Rex. This thing is a absolute wrecking ball when it gets cast against you. It is a 8-8 for 7, but often you're just bringing it out of the yard for free or using a monster manual like I talked about last week to put it into... Imagine they come in with like a 4-4, and you drop an 8-8 Trample Ward 4 Haste Toxic 4 in the way, and then counterattack and they get four poison counters, and you're playing Atraxa or whatever, so you proliferate end of turn, and you've got Tecathel on the board, so you proliferate twice. All of a sudden, they're in real dangerous territory.
1: I mean, it's Trample, Ward 4, and Haste can't be countered. There's not a lot you can do about that.
0: Yeah, I forgot about the can't be countered. That's also problem problematic. Art on here is some of the cooler art of the oil slicks, because it's kind of like a full-body pic- picture of the Tyrannix Rex. Uh, this also doesn't strike me as a card that's going to get a whole lot of reprints. Again, even if it does, the oil slick will probably not be challenged for cool factor. It has, likewise with Techathol, bottomed out back in March and then got up a little bit again and then slowly slid down. And it's currently sitting just under $10 as well. I think for both of these to go 10 to 20. This one has a chance to, to rev up faster because we're heading into dino hype and this happens to be a dinosaur. And the dinosaur decks aren't all that deep in the number of dinosaurs that they can run. And this is one of the more impactful ones that you can drop into the table in a dinosaur deck. So given that it's in 20,000 decks on EDH record already, we've got the dino hype building and it's played in seven or eight different mid tier commanders, uh, including most of the dinosaur ones. I think this one's got some legs and I would not be surprised to, to see these double up given enough time anywhere between six and 24
1: months. I mean, you can talk me into just about any of the dinosaurs, and I'll be with you. There's a lot of really good dinosaur enablers already. We're going to get some more, I imagine. And this seven mana is going to be more like, uh, there's at least one white creature that's uh, three and a white that makes all dinosaurs cost two less to cast. So you go four drop this guy, and then uh, five mana gives you a turnax Rex, and all of a sudden somebody's uh, halfway to dead on poison counters. Gotta love it. And any dinosaur pick right now, I think, is worth thinking about, especially when it's got such a, a distinct-looking foil to be chased. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all over it. I agree completely.
0: Alrighty, what's your final selection of the week?
1: My last one this week is uh, looking at, you know, we've talked about dinosaurs, because we know dinosaurs are coming. We're getting Jurassic Park stuff. We also know that back in Ixalan, we also had a lot of merfolk and we had a lot of vampire going on. So, vampires are a tribe that have had some hype before. When we got into uh, Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt, uh, I bought 20 copies of malakir Blood Witch foils from original Zendikar way back when. Uh, these have never been reprinted for anything except for one showing up in a Commander Precon back at uh, Crimson Vow. So this is three black black four and Commander twenty seventeen, but yes, only in Commander products. Right. So you're not getting a lot of these and no foils, and no foils. So there's only the original foils to go from. Uh, It's three black black flying and protection from white when it comes into play. Each player loses life. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of vampires you control, and you gain that much life. Uh, It's pretty amazing to have this go on in a deck with lots of vampires, and I think it's a very unlikely to be put in a standard card because they don't really like protection anymore. They like to do things like uh, the Skrelv, the Defector, might give you hexproof from a color sort of a thing, which is a more intuitive way of doing this sort of thing. So the foils are dirt cheap. Uh, there are a lot of lightly played and near mint copies for around $3-$4.00. Uh, that's where I bought in at before, but if the vampires take off, this will hit ten dollars pretty easily because I don't think we're going to get any foil versions of the card. We might get it showing up in another commander precon. It's been a couple years since uh, Crimson Vow, and even if it does, then that's going to look good for the foils. I think.
0: Yeah, I can get with this. The the only reprint risk of any kind is a secret layer release somewhere near
1: the Ixalan release sure that's entirely possible we might get uh, a merfolk and a vampire i don't think we'd get a dinosaur to go with jurassic park but who the hell knows what wizards has in mind for us edgar markov that crazy bugger
0: looking at commanders of say the last month markov is 21st with 1100 decks registered on that site so safe to say there are, you know, probably ten to 15,000 Edgar Markov players in the world, and if you're running Markov, you're supposed to have Blood Witch in your deck because it gives you a really good mid-game, mid-game drain <laughs> effect that's going to boost your life total and keep you in the game, and that's what you need in an aggro deck that respond can sometimes respond poorly to sweepers.
1: I used to play a Grixis Vampires deck with uh, Garzozol, the Plague Queen. And uh, my favorite thing in the world to do was have Blood Witch in play and cast Right of Replication on it and just GG, everybody. Let's move on. Yeah. I, I don't mind people that combo us out if it happens quickly. Yeah, there you go.
0: Moving on over to our weekly topic, we're going to delve into the announcement that draft and set boosters are being removed from circulation and instead will be replaced with something called play boosters. This is very interesting to me because we've talked about this potential decision ever since they announced set boosters. We said this was the whole point was to make booster boxes cost more and that down the road they would find some way to eliminate the lowest price point and permanently ratchet up the price of boxes. And as Wizards is looking around, seeing what happened to the first four or five sets of Flesh and Blood, One Piece, Lorcanna, etc., it's no huge surprise that they are looking to further ratchet up the amount we are paying per box of product. And that's exactly what they're going for here, is basically they're going to smush together draft and set boosters so that they have... They are still a draftable experience. The draft is going to have slightly more variation from the perspective that there is going to be a list slot. It sounds like the list is being drastically narrowed. I think it's 40 cards.
1: Uh, I believe it is being cut down to 50 cards.
0: 50 cards. So that's significantly smaller than the previous list Uh Inclusions, and it also means that things that are on those thematic list inclusions now become real threats to specs, right? Because they're going to get printed in much greater quantity than when the list was very expansive. So the list is is now actually an additional threat. On the plus side, you have less chance of a random spec that is not thematically rele- thematically related getting included there because the list is so much smaller. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a push and pull on the impact on specs if your spec gets caught it gets caught hard but it's less likely to be in the list in general i'm with you on that so so if you know a vampire set is coming up for instance if ixalan if they were doing this for ixalan which they're not it doesn't happen until the release of
1: uh Uh, markov manor
0: right in the in second quarter of 2024 but if it was happening for ixalan and we were looking at something like malakir blood witch we would have to assume that it's it was going to be in there
1: it's a. It would be a very strong one to be included in there. Yes.
0: Did they mention whether the
1: list could now be foil? Uh, it does not appear that way. It will be a seventh common, but an eighth of a time you'll get a card from the list, and it does not say at all uh, what you would get in turn. There's no mention of foils.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that's a foil slot. So, so the list still doesn't threaten premiums and still doesn't threaten foils so, so much as we know. But there are going to be special guest cards in there, which is going to be new art. And I think they said 10 of the cards.
1: That's correct. So the list is currently 300 cards.
0: (laughs) I forget that it's so stupid huge. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about, it getting much smaller.
1: Yeah. And now we're going, instead of all of them being equally rare, some are going, there's going to be uh, 50 potential cards. Uh, 30 will be common or uncommon list versions. 10 will be rare or mythic rare. So they're going to have. I I think that's 40,
0: not 50, right?
1: Well, plus the 10 special guests. Ah, got it. So, in addition to the special guests, there are 40 cards that are reprints without new art. So, 30 common or uncommon, 10 rare, mythic rare. Uh, The special guests will be in non-foil here. They'll have exciting reprints with new art and thematically tie-in. And it seems like a guarantee that the new collector boosters will have the, you know, foil versions of the special guests.
0: There was a lot of negative knee-jerk reaction on social media today with people claiming this was the end of draft and so forth. And I... (sighs) I talked to many vendors and store runners today, and they are not at all concerned. They are all net positive on this because even though it probably means that drafts are going to get more expensive, like they might go at your average random Midwest LGS from 15 to 20 or $25, that's always been an underpriced entertainment experience. If If you and your partner go out to a movie together and get popcorn and a drink and buy a ticket, Possibly pay for parking, or get it, go get a dinner. You're talking about paying 100 to 150 dollars. If you go to a draft and you spend 15 versus 25, that matters most at you know for the students that want to get involved in in their LGS. But Magic has clearly pivoted away from those people. Like we, one of our long term concerns around here is whether they're attracting enough young people to fill the ranks when a bunch of us old folks die.
1: <laughs> it's like. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a bunch. Are
0: there going to be enough new magic players in 20 years to keep things rolling? That's a real concern. But in terms of whether drafts are 15 or 20 bucks, I don't think it matters a whole lot. The average price of a box definitely going to go up. So if you can get draft boxes for like 95, now you're probably looking at some, depending on where you're buying them, somewhere between 110 and 140. And there won't be a cheaper priced option if all you want to do is draft with your friends. On the upside, they're claiming that they'll have higher EV because they're closer to a set booster than they are to a draft booster, which makes sense to an extent. The chief complaint about the draft scenario in terms of it, quote unquote, ruining draft is that there's going to be the potential for a booster to have up to four rares or mythics. Now, what people need to understand about that is, that means you hit the lottery. And, there's no guarantee that those rares or mythics are going to work in your deck. So, like, the odds of somebody getting four bombs in that slot are going to be basically zero. You could end up with something like a doubling season, and you're running a red-black aggro deck. You know what I'm saying? So you got some strong value in your draft, but it didn't necessarily help your draft any. Now, somewhere along the way, someone is going to get two or three big-ass monsters that are all in the same color, and it's just going to get ridiculous. But I would imagine that that's going to be a a sub-1% of the time kind of thing. So, from from my first take on looking at the stats here, it looks like draft will be totally fine. And it kind of has to be, not because of them wanting to support LGS's running drafts, which is still a thing, but not as important as it used to be. It's more that Arena has to run smoothly. So the pack compositions still have to make sense because otherwise people will stop drafting on Arena and Magic Online, and that's kind of the that is the crux of where those systems get money is people buying the entry fees and packs to play those drafts.
1: So the actual uh, composition we don't know because we don't know exactly how many commons and uncommons and rares and mythic rares there will be for these wild card slots, uh, the list slot you've got a 12% chance, 12.5% chance to get one of 50 cards. So that's a pretty small set of outcomes for you worrying about specific stuff. Even if you hit the uh, one in couple hundred thousand play booster that has four rares in a draft, you get one and then you have to pass 3 on.
0: You you can also assume that the wild card slots have the same general breakdown in terms of rarity between common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. They have no reason to buck that. So, mo- the vast majority of the time you're just going to open the normal rare and mythic in slot 11. And a- yep. and and again, because the because the wild card slots can be anything from the set, it's super possible that the rare and mythic you pull in the other slot if you get lucky has nothing to do
1: with your deck. It's also worth noting that They have access uh, because, you know, they've been running Arena for years. They know exactly how many commons they can cut. They know how many commons, which commons of which colors and which effects have never been included in their uh, permutation, in people's decks. So they can say with confidence, we're losing a common and that won't affect the draft experience at all. We're losing the worst common. And they don't mention in this article if they are changing... The number of commons that they're going to put into a set as a result of the changing the distribution in a pack but with this outcome because these last two the the wild cards are something like 80 percent to be commons uh, at least the last time i calculated a wild card slot with uh, one of potentially everything it came out to something like 80 percent commons i think that this isn't going to change the draft experience at all It's going to change the price ever so slightly, and if you've been playing long enough and you're like, well, it used to be this much, well, good, it did used to be this much. We were uh, talking about the times when, you know, original Innistrad drafts were $10 for three packs, and that's what it was, and it used to be that nobody would charge table fees, and that was in the past, and all of these things, you know, you, you change or you quit, and if you decide you need to quit Magic over this, then... Uh, you know, let us know and somebody in our Discord will be happy to give you a price on your collection.
0: The reality is that you were complaining about this particular set of changes. Kind of presupposes that you weren't already getting blown out by people getting Mythics in their packs. <laughs> like, <laughs> which, which if you draft as much as you and I do is, is kind of preposterous. Because I, I get blown out by people's ridiculous pulls all the time before they make these changes. And and this actually gives me as much of a chance of getting some extra help from my deck as the other people at the table. And I think that's fine. We we've already seen weird subsets in Wild of Eldrain, where you have doubling season in the mix and 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 Blood Moon and all sorts of other craziness. And and one one game I actually did get a land tax on turn one go on the play and I got eight lands out of it or something, like you're a monster. <laughs> I, I was playing vintage and they were playing something completely different. And it's fine. You know, like that guy didn't quit magic over it. And you're not going to quit when I, I get a land tax out of the the list slot either.
1: You know, and it's worth mentioning that these special slots, a certain number of them are pure stinkers. I, I have not had a deck where I would want to play Parallel Lives or Doubling Season. Yep. I, I tried Roserator. to make Doubling
0: Season work once and it, I was not super thrilled with the no. result. So I think that if anything, this this gets, sets you up to like have a mediocre deck, but you pull it a $20 card. So good for you. And and that's, and that's that's got to counter the, the one, like if you're going to do 10 drafts and one of those times you get a $20 card and one of those times you lose in the finals to the guy who got three interconnected rares, that seems like a fine trade-off overall.
1: I'm for that. Now, the, the special guests, uh, I I think that I'm almost inevitably going to end up having to write about what changing the list math does because we, we changed the list once and I had to write, I wrote about that, but now we're back down to a manageable 50 instead of 300 because uh, if it's at 300 and you're at 12 and a half percent to even get a list card, that means one in 2,400 boosters, you're getting a list card. That is not enough to move a price down significantly but the list has done enough to keep a price from going too high it's more like it keeps the price just stable enough and what i think we're going to see is cards that show up on the list now the list was equal rarities before and now we're getting a common uncommon rare and mythic rare so i'm going to have to run those numbers and make sure that they track but we're going to see that like being on the list is probably going to be more deleterious to value going forward
0: if they put if they put them in at a mixed rarity i think is that is that what they said they would do for the list
1: they they said 30 will be common or uncommon 10 will be rare mythic rare and then 10 more will be the special guests
0: yeah but it looks like Nine point three eight percent for a common or uncommon versus one point five or six for a rare or a mythic rare. I, I can't I have to run the math on that to see if that's different than the usual mix of of uh, relative rarities for common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. But the bottom line is this if you have something like fifty cards in the list and a normal distribution of mythics, and you have twenty mythics in the main set, then that then the mythics in that slot are probably gonna be something like twice or 2.5 times as rare as the mythics in the main set okay i'm with you so they're not being printed into the ground but if they put something in there like a mana crypt or a, a doubling season or whatever it's a, it's a very significant reprint so it, it is not the, the the way that the list was ignored up until now that's pretty much over
1: yeah if they they did give themselves an out and said that the wildcard slots or the regular slots, and they may, all of these may contain booster fun versions, but there's definitely going to be stuff that is exclusive to the collector boosters. You know, foil versions of Special Guest is just the start of things, and we'll we'll definitely see a lot of shenanigans. Um, I've always been surprised that they didn't want to do the list in collector boosters as well, but, you know, doing foils on top of everything else... Might just be more of a headache than it's worth for them. The other
0: thing that might end up sliding into our laps here is, you know how they've given us some stats on drop rates for key premiums that has let let us reverse engineer the total number of collector boosters printed? Right. They might end up, now that we have a combined play booster and we know that everything is either CB or play booster, if they give us any percentage drop rate chance in those we'll be able to reverse engineer both simultaneously and figure out exactly how much product was printed of a certain set
1: i think that we'll they'll give us enough information that i can i can put together like what's the distribution of how likely you are to pull whatever card from a play booster as well as a uh collector booster I don't think they'll give us enough for that because they'd have to do something like a serialized in a play booster. And I don't think they'll do that.
0: Well, all they have to have is a non serialized hyper premium that they attach a number to. And if they comment on whether the number is any different in play boosters versus CBs, then we've got them. That's true. So that that's what I would be on the lookout for, because if they drop that piece of information, then you can reverse engineer everything. You can figure out what percentage is CBs versus play boosters. You can figure out the total revenue of the project, both for Watsy distributors and retailers by applying various margins. You can figure out what percentage of their total year it is in retrospect, once you see the end results for that year in question. Could be very, very handy.
1: One other thing that they put in this article that uh, I didn't mention in the Discord today was that uh, they said straight out that in the rare mythic rare slot, just like you, you can do in a draft booster currently or a set booster, you can open a um, a rare or a mythic. The distribution for that used to be two rares for one mythic. Now it's going six rares to one mythic. So in set, if you open seven of these boosters, you're going to get six rares before you get your first mythic. So they are really making rares a lot more common as compared to mythic rares were before so we should expect going forward that depending on how if they do something similar with the collector boosters uh, i'll have to run those numbers and see if they agree with this but six out of seven being rares as opposed to uh two out of three is a notable change
0: So, I mean, honestly, I think for most vendors who often have trouble managing the mix of orders for set and draft boosters, this is just a net positive. It simplifies the number of SKUs. It simplifies the cracking process. They can, if they have trouble moving product on pre-order and end up with it on the shelf, they can do draft promotions to get rid of it because it's draftable. This is better for the LGS. And I don't think it's net negative for players. I think it's basically probably mostly neutral. And then magic is getting slightly more expensive. But honestly, I think magic as an experience overall and a cost for the hobby, I've always been of the opinion that magic was too cheap. So, and, and that's not a commentary on
1: get rich. I can feel the knives popping out right now, man. I'm looking over my shoulder like, oh, Lord, someone's about to stab me. You just said magic's too cheap.
0: It, it's not to say that that there are many people. Who have to make tough choices about how they spend their entertainment dollar? Totally true. And the value of their dollars in general is being eroded by a broken system. Way above Magic. But in the context of all of the entertainment options that are arrayed around us, Magic is very reasonable because it's so adjustable. Like if you want to go play golf, you got to go buy golf clubs. That's not that big a deal, but could be an impediment. But then you got to pay fees, and your minimum green fees are probably fifty bucks around.
1: Magic's always had the advantage that uh, you and I have talked about before is that it's much easier to get your money out of magic if you uh, you know put a lot into it. It's unlikely that you will lose as much in magic as you will in most other hobbies.
0: If you buy, like for instance, I've been wing foiling this year. If you buy a wing foil, that's that. The wing, the board, and the foil is like twenty-five hundred bucks. If you want to sell that, you have about two years to do so before that gear becomes obsolete, and then it's like you're gonna get five hundred out of it. So you're gonna erode the value by eighty percent, and then you can accru- you can amortize that across however many times you manage to make it out. If you want to go skiing or snowboarding, you gotta to travel to get to that mountain. You gotta pay like a hundred bucks a day to be on the lifts. You gotta get a hotel for say 200 a night or whatever it's thousands of dollars yeah if you want to go get a basketball or a soccer ball and go to your local park and play that's dirt cheap but again there's in in the spectrum magic is definitively in the middle not near the top so and and there's just so many ways to play this game cheaply like I saw a lot of people on right. on social media today talking about how they're just going to play kitchen table magic. Dude, I encourage it. Go play Kitchen Table Magic. That's probably always been the best version of Magic as long as you don't get into an arms race with the pre- people you're playing with. And and honestly, that's why Commander is so great because you can tune it up, tune it down, both in terms of price and power level and experience. You know, you can combo each other out, you can grind each other out, you can dirtle. Just got to you just got to have a conversation. So, I I think this is a good a good change. Um, you know, I I would like to see them adjust drop rates in collector boosters as their next little project like this or print less collector boosters. If they printed collector boosters to the point where they felt
1: scarce then they would all be worth more later. They don't want it to be worth more later. They want us to buy as much of as we can right now. Sure,
0: but they're but by getting overly greedy about how much they push into distribution, they are encouraging distribution to order less later. I mean that's part of why they made this decision. Cuz just distribution was pushing back on them saying we're getting stuck with the draft boosters. We don't want this anymore.
1: Yeah, that makes that makes perfect perfect
0: sense. So they they you you have to run some detailed math in both cases to figure out what exactly you're supposed to do from their perspective to to maximize. But I am very suspicious that CBs are they're supposed to strive less hard to sell upfront on CBs and make sure they sell out every time with zero waste. Because if they do that, then they will have they will have predictable orders and they can still slowly increase print runs over time, but it'll be a more sustainable thing. The current thing they're on where they end up like throwing huge amounts into landfills and stuff when the set doesn't sell well is just silly.
1: I mean, yes, it's very silly, but that's that's them. Uh, they premiered the Collector Booster th- uh, four years ago, right? Yeah, yep. four years ago. Well, for so, Eldrain, yep. That means that they've been trying to figure out the correct numbers for four years. And it's clear that they haven't quite gotten there. And they've been trying a lot of experiments in these four years. Uh, we were talking about uh, Double Feature in the Discord today. How, you know, they just kind of said, well, this sounds like a really cool idea. And if our sets work then this will be doubly great. But the problem is the sets were mediocre to bad, and it was doubly crap. So they are figuring things out on the fly, even though they have a, a two-year lead time and a whole lot of uh, testing that they do. All right, I think that's probably
0: a wrap for this week. Where can folks find you online, my friend?
1: You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or on my articles every Friday on MTGPrice.com.
0: And you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the
1: gathering once again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles please use the promo code finance five during checkout at cool stuff inc to save five percent off your order and support this podcast that's it for today james but you know what happens next monday what's that my friend the first previews for Lost Caverns of Ixalon. We're in another preview season already. <laughs> We're also going to be doing a
0: review of a Pro Traders collection next week. I think that's on the agenda. So we uh, thank all of you for listening. Thank you, Clifford, co-hosting. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.